Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. If you would be opening your Bibles to Malachi, the second chapter. Malachi, the second chapter. God has blessed us richly this summer with wonderful people to work with our young people. Well, he's blessed us with wonderful young people. We love and appreciate you guys, and especially for the work that Phil and Andrew and Marie have done this summer. It's been tremendous. We love and appreciate their efforts, and tonight as we bid farewell uh, to those working only with us for the summer, it'll be a bitter sweetness. Uh, the sweetness is a joy that we've had of them working with us day in and day out, and the bitter of of them going on, but we love and appreciate you and wish you the best. As we think about God blesses us tremendously, and let's make sure that we're thankful to God. I'm talking genuinely, and that it's a fervent part of our prayer life, and, and that we're very serious about counting our blessings and seeing all of the ways that God gives you and I a much better life because we're part of a family like this in, in His Son's church. And let's make sure that we never take that for granted because if we don't do that, then we'll also realize as we see how wonderful the gift has been, we'll realize how responsible we must be with that gift. And let's be in this family what we ought to be. And let's always be servants. Tonight, we're going to look especially at the topic of leadership because as we've been looking at Malachi, we began last week at looking at a topic of leadership where he was urging the individuals to take it to heart. Now, just a real brief reminder. Keep in mind, they had been in Babylonian captivity, and they came back eventually to uh, real, rebuild their city and rebuild the temple. And it took about 60 years until Ezra comes back, and Ezra works with them on kind of putting the law back in place and learning the religion, if you will, that God expected them to maintain in their life. And then about 13 years after that, Nehemiah comes back because his heart is broken. He hears that the wall has not been built back, and he comes back to help build back the wall. And so now Malachi is writing what would be about a hundred years after all of this began from the Babylonian return. A hundred years, great things could happen. And I don't say this boastful. I'm just saying this as a matter of fact. For example, God has done great things here because the people over the last hundred years in Mount Julia have kept a focus on God and submitting their life to the will of God. But yet that hadn't been the case for those as they returned from Babylonia. They began to become very settled into their own ways doing things the way they wanted to be done, not denouncing the name of God completely. But yet as we read the book of Malachi, it is heartbreaking to see the sacrifices that the priests were allowing to be made offered, that God said, do not offer these lame animals or blind animals or even stolen animals. But yet they were accepting them. And then we read a little further in the book of Malachi, and we see that also they were allowing their individuals to divorce their first wives and go out and marry the foreign wives of heathen nations that were idolatrous. We read in the next chapter and we see that they were allowing the individuals to not pay tithes and apparently consider themselves to still be faithful. Now, who's responsible for all of this? We've already looked in the first chapter. He made a plea for someone to stand up and close the gates and put an end to this. In other words, somebody needs to take charge. Now we come to the second chapter, and if you'll remember in the second chapter, he says in verse 1, I've got a message to you leaders. He says, oh, and now, O oh priest, this commandment is for you. Now let's look at verse 2. He says, and you will not hear if you will not take it to heart to give glory to my name. Now, this is 
kind of the foundation that we're building these two lessons off of, the one last week and now the one this week. He was making a plea to the leaders. There's something that you have to take to heart. Leaders have to have a pure heart. They have to have a pure motive that drives them. And it's interesting to hear what he says is, I want to see some leaders that's not out for their own glory, but give God the glory. Not out to create their own standard, but to live by God's standard. Not out to create their own agenda, but to live by God's direction. And so he says in the following verses, he's going to hold them accountable. And he says in in verse uh, 3 and 4, about that he would hold them accountable and he would punish them. Now let's go to the slide now that has Malachi, the second chapter, verse 4, 5, and 6. And notice now as we pick up on tonight's lesson, Phinehas is an individual that we're not going to read of by name in this passage. But notice as it speaks about the covenant to Levi. We're picking up verse 4 and let's read. By the way, tremendous insight in these verses here about the characteristics of leaders. He's speaking specifically to the people that would lead God's children. By principle and application, we can apply that especially to elders today. But now whatever role that you have, especially if you're a husband or father, think about it. These are godly characteristics and the way that we ought to lead anyone if we're leaders. And so these are principles that we all can benefit from if we have influence in the lives of others. But especially if you're a leader tonight, be thinking about these things. He says in 4, Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you. Now, make sure we're on the same page. He's speaking to the leaders, the leaders that have not been staying with what God would have them to do. And here's what he says. My covenant was with him. Let's back up to verse 4, the middle of 4. That my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him. He's talking about the covenant, one of life and peace. And I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me and was reverent before me and before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and turned many away from iniquity. Now who is this that God made a a law or a covenant with them that was of the tribe of Levi? Back up with me, if you will, to Numbers, the 25th chapter. And let's read this story here about what is taking place where the Lord, many years later, would speak to a group of leaders, the priests, that were really profaning the temple, profaning the name of God, profaning the offerings that were made to God. They were allowing these things to take place. And God writes and says, I want you to remember back. I want you to remember a leader that wasn't your kind of leader. This was a leader with backbone. This was a leader that took a stand. This is the kind of leader that I'm looking for today. Remember in chapter 1, who's going to get up and close the gates? He's saying, if you can find this kind of man you're going to find the kind of individual that can help us turn this nation around. Well, let's read about this individual. What kind of man was it? Uh, In the slide here, we see that it begins at verse 6. What's leading up to verse 6 is that the children of Israel were going out and they were committing harlotry with the women of Moab. After they did that, they were invited to eat with them, which was probably a part of their religious celebration to idols, and then to bow down to their idols. So, you know, it's kind of the unthinkable. Some of the men were going over and committing uh, fornication and they were eating in probably the name of an idolatrous religion and then bowing down to their gods. And in verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, 
take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. You think leadership's not tough? You imagine being those leaders. There's some things going wrong with your group. God says, I want you to handle it, leaders. Step up. Lord, what do you want us to do? I want you to go and identify them, and I want you to hang them. And I want you to do it out in public. I want everybody in the congregation to see this, that you're appeasing the anger of God for this kind of rebellion. I need to learn tonight to appreciate leadership. Godly leadership handles tough issues. They make the hard decisions. And they have backbone that requires a lot of dedication and determination. Let's read on now as we begin in verse 6. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses, in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting. See that? All the congregation gathered together, and they were crying about this. This is such a terrible thing. A lot of their friends, probably even their family members, were going to die. They were probably sad because the people did what they did, but they were probably also sad because they were going to lose their lives. And so they gathered at the door of the tabernacle. They're crying. And now when Phinehas, the son, of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it. He arose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. And those who died in the plague were 24,000. Let's go to the next slide, verse 10. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel. Now, this is God's explanation of what this man did. Because he was zealous with my zeal among them, so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace. You see, here's what Malachi was writing about a few minutes ago. He says, I want you to remember... You're dealing with a horrible situation in the wrong way. You need to have more backbone. You need to remember the covenant of peace that I made with the covenant of Levi. Isn't it interesting that that covenant of peace was made when an individual was strong enough to execute the death sentence? By application and by principle, these are powerful things for us to learn how, as parents, how important it is. I'm not suggesting that we execute our children. I know some of you are getting your hopes up there. I'm not, ex I'm, not, I'm not saying that, but I am saying that we need to be willing to take the stand. We need to be willing to make the hard calls. We need to be willing to take the stand when it's unpopular with everybody in our house. Somebody has to be the leader. Somebody has to say, this is God's way, and I am zealous for God's way. And so let's read on here now in verse 12. Therefore say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for God and made atonement for the children of Israel. Powerful story. Not really the spin that you and I would probably expect to see in a situation like this. Where God says, 
as if I can't say enough good about this individual because he went in and he executed with zeal what I asked them to execute. And now here, Malachi means messenger. God is giving a message saying, we need some more leaders with this kind of zeal and with these kinds of characteristics. Now when we go back to our text, we see that he gives a list. You see there in verse 5 and 6? He gives a list of what kind of characteristics Phinehas has in his life. And these are the characteristics that leaders today ought to have in their lives. And so let's look at a few of these characteristics. First, as we closed out verse 5, I want you to notice the heart of this individual. At the closing of verse 5, he says, So he feared, him, so he feared me and was reverent before my name. Why would he do what he did? Because he feared God. He feared more what God would do if he didn't keep God's will than what rebellious people would do if he went along with them. In other words, who's going to be bold enough in Malachi's day to go and close the gates and the altar and say, no more. We're not offering another lame sacrifice. We're not offering a, a defiled sacrifice. We have brought contempt to the altar of God, closing the gates no more. Why was this going to happen? It was because their heart was set upon God. Notice, if you will, this heart of reverence. I can't help but think back up there to the second chapter in verse 2 where he says, If you will not take it to heart to give glory to my name. The heart of reverence that every leader has, needs to have in their life is to say, I want to give God the glory for all things. It's all about God, and it's not about me. Let's compare this as we go over to 1 Timothy, the third chapter, and in verse 6. We're picking up in verse 6 toward the end of the qualifications, that of an elder, the overseer of the church. Now, it's interesting that he said that a man must have this list of things that's given here. And notice how 6 begins. Not a novice. In other words, not a person that's just a beginner. Why? He says, lest being puffed up with pride, he may fall into the same condemnation as the devil. One of the great challenges for leaders, that any time an individual takes a position of leadership, he is placed into an arena where pride can be a temptation. I'm not suggesting to you that everybody that is a leader is immediately struggling with the temptation of pride. But that is definitely a part of stepping into the arena of leadership. For example, a parallel is in 1 Timothy the 6th chapter tells us that anytime someone has great riches on this earth, they also will deal with the temptation of trusting in their money. In other words, it's a temptation that comes with the area. So you say, what is a temptation that comes with the area of leadership? And it's pride. It's pride to believe that it's me. It's pride to believe it ought to be my way. It's pride to believe that folks ought to look up to me. And instead, everything that he's teaching them here is, listen, have a heart of reverence. Have a heart that respects God. Take it to heart. Give God the glory. I love that you and I have the opportunity to be under an eldership 
that believes and practices the fact this is not their church. You see, that statement gives the glory to God. This is the Lord's church. It doesn't belong to anyone here. It doesn't belong to leadership. It doesn't belong to you or to me. This is the Lord's church. Now, someone that's a leader that's suffering with pride begins to think, this is my church. Or a deacon could look over an area and instead of giving God the glory and seeing the ways that he could serve and help others to serve, he could begin to think, this is my area. I need to do it my way and I need to receive the glory. Or in your home, a leader of the home could begin to think, it's my family. I'm the one that's given birth, or, or I'm the one that takes care of these people. I'm the one that leads these people. It's my family. No, it ought to be God's family. And we're the one that God has given the headship to lead that family. But a heart of reverence says, I realize that I'm simply a servant for God. You see, the priest in Malachi's day had forgotten that they were servants of God. They started doing the priestly duties the way they wanted to do them. And they had miserably defiled the way of God. But let's notice a second thing. We also see a message of truth. Look there in verse 6. Another characteristic as he begins to just list these characteristics. In verse 6 he says, The law of truth was in his mouth. A godly leader is going to realize that they are a messenger for God. They are a messenger of truth. And how important it is to never forget what the ultimate purpose is, especially of certain roles of leadership. Let me remind you that here he's speaking to the priest. And he's saying to the priest, don't ever forget you're the mouthpiece for God. When we go over to, to Acts the 6th chapter, if you want to look at Acts the 6th chapter, we have now a New Testament example, and this is in the infancy of the church. This is when there were apostles and there were not elders. And so there were apostles, and you may remember the story in Acts the 6th chapter. This is the story where the Grecian widows were being neglected, and so someone needed to do something so that everyone was taken care of in the first century daily meals on wheels that was taken to the widows. And so the apostles, they had a solution. I want to read to you verse 2. I think verse 4 is on the screen. But notice verse 2. He says, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave. Now notice this. That we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Now notice their summary in 4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now, isn't this interesting? There was something so important that they just could not leave doing it because this was a particular area that God was holding them responsible. They could find other individuals that would be willing to serve the widows, but God had given the apostles a very specific role. They were to be messengers for God. They would not leave the ministry of the Word of God. Now, as the church matured, we see elders being appointed. And as we look at the list of qualifications for the elders, we see in 1 Timothy, the third chapter, and verse 2, that they must be able to teach. Those of you that are not leaders, you may find this a little bit hard to believe. We look at the church and we say, what's one of the great functions of the church? And, and quickly someone would say, 
to spread the gospel throughout our community and throughout the world. It's interesting the way that can be forgotten. Elders can never take their eyes off of the ministry that God has given them to the Word. A lot of things has to be taken care of to oversee a church. A lot of attention has to be given to a lot of areas. But there's one area that can never be neglected. And that's the great responsibility that God has always given the leader of His people to be a messenger of the truth. You know, even in preaching. Some of you may say, I can quickly identify with this. And others of you may say, I've never thought about that. You know, when we go to workshops and lectures that deal with the work of a preacher, you know what the older preachers always challenge us younger preachers to do? Never become so committed in so many areas that you fail to leave time to study. How could a preacher not have time to study? If a guy works 40-plus hours a week, surely he's got hours upon hours upon hours to study. How could that happen? Oh, it happens easily. It takes a very committed focus to say, wait a minute, there are a lot of things in the life of a congregation that's very important. But you know what? There's no way a man can do all of those things and remain committed to the Word. That's right. A preacher cannot do everything and remain committed to the Word. And so there has to be a focus of time. What is the most important? And it's a challenge. And I offer that to you to say, it's interesting that Satan is always busy and he's always trying to pull us down and pull us away sometimes from the very things that are the most important. And so it is. Every person has certain areas of responsibility that are yours. You can't delegate those. And maybe something that's my responsibility is not yours, and maybe something that's your responsibility is not mine. But we all have areas we cannot delegate, and those we must focus carefully to never neglect those. Let's go back to our text again, and let's look at a, a third We've seen the heart of reverence. We've seen the message of truth. But also another characteristic as we read further in verse 6. He says, An injustice was not found on his lips. Here the, the leader must be courageously faithful. Must be willing to stand up when it is difficult to stand up. A very similar story. Back in Deuteronomy, the 19th chapter. In Deuteronomy, the 19th chapter, we see a time where God had gathered together the leaders, in verse 17, he brought together the priests and the judges. And uh, there were false witnesses rising against an individual. And look at verse 18. And the judges shall make careful inquiry. And indeed, if the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother, then you shall do to him as he thought to have done to his brother. So you shall, away, so you shall put away the evil from among you. And those who remain shall hear and fear, and hereafter they shall not commit such evil among you. Now notice this phrase. This is really why I want us to turn here with this closing. 
Your eye shall not pity. Life shall be for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. You see, he gathers the leaders together as they were also having to handle the civil matters of the day. And he says, look, priests, look, judges, you can't be soft. You've got to let justice rule. Now, when justice is in your favor, you say, I'm glad that justice came through. But what about when justice is tough? What about when something has to be handled? What about when someone has to be confronted? What about when the right thing to do is church discipline? That's when you say, well, justice is the right thing to do, but who's strong enough to do it? And here he looks in 21, and he says to those individuals, when it's tough to do the right thing, he's speaking to the leaders here, and he's saying when it's tough to do the right thing, don't let your eye find pity upon that individual. When we look over to Titus, we see that God gives the elders tremendous responsibility to guard the sheep against false teachers. Look as we read verse 9, 10, 11. He's saying, and we're picking up in the middle, uh, just the end of the qualifications as he talks about some of the responsibilities of elders. And this is in Titus, the first chapter, beginning in verse 9. He says, Hold fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouth must be stopped who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. Now, I want to skip down and read verse 13. I don't think we have it on the slide, but he says, This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Paul is writing to Titus. Titus is working the island of Crete, and he's telling him about the area of leadership here. And he says, Listen. He says, you're going to have some tough times because there are false teachers that's pulling away entire families. And notice he doesn't say, just leave that to the preachers. The preachers will take care of the false teachers. No. Now, I hope that a preacher, if confronted with false teaching, would take care of it. But it's interesting here that God gives that responsibility to the elders, and he says, you're the ones that's to make sure that an end is put to that false teaching. You're the ones that's to confront. You're the ones that's to take the stand for the truth, identify that which is false, and cut it off. A tongue of justice, heart of reverence, a message for the truth, powerful characteristics for any leaders. But notice as we go back to our text, and let's look at two more. He says in Malachi, the second chapter, in verse 6, He walked with me, this is in the middle of six, he walked with me in peace and equity. What a beautiful thought. Here's a man that God says, he walked with me. You remember Enoch, the scriptures, he was a man that walked with God. Remember that pleased God. And so in Hebrews it told that because of his life, it was impossible to please God without faith. Faith in God and faith that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. A leader has to have a life. He has to have a walk. He has to have a daily conduct about him. The word equity means uh, level. In other words, the idea is balanced in righteousness. It's a man who has his vision set upon heaven, but yet he's living on this earth reflecting that heavenly vision. 
He knows how to live on this earth by the guideline of righteousness. He knows that he's only here for a short time. When a leader tries to lean only on position, he makes terrible mistakes and has very few followers. But when a man has a position and uses his influence of a righteous life to properly guide people, the impact is tremendous. We don't have time to develop this now, but I want you to just think, the lowest level of leadership is position. That's the lowest level. So if God has granted you a position in life, keep in mind that there's a lot of work to do to grow into the leader God wants us to be above that of a position. Now let's look at this last thing. Notice the life of influence. Malachi, the second chapter, verse 5, he closes verse 5 by saying, and turned many away from iniquity. This really is one of the great aspects of even Christian living. But that is, Malachi speaking for God says, look what this one man did. He took a stand. And look how many people took a turn and decided to turn away from wrong and to turn to God. And you see, he's saying this to the people in Malachi's day, the priests that were not taking a stand for righteousness. They weren't taking a stand for God. And so he's trying to shake them, if you will, uh, intellectually, and saying to them, don't you want to make a positive difference? Somebody needs to take a stand here and turn people away. But before any leader can help turn others away from sin, they have to themselves take a stand in righteousness. And so it's a beautiful challenge to say, look, if you and I will just stand up for what's right, look at the many people that we can bless as they too decide to take a stand for what is right. Do you realize that there's not been that many elders at the Mount Juliet Church of Christ over the last 110 or 15 years? That small group of men has had influence upon thousands of people. Not just in this one location, but as mission points across the world and in a community where people have been taught and they've had to make their decision if they want Jesus to be their Lord. How do you measure the impact of influence? I don't think you can on this side, but it is amazing. So let's extend the invitation by thinking about this. If someone in your circle, whether at school or at work, a neighbor, one of your good friends, if someone was thinking about God, but they never followed God, they were just thinking about God and wondering if Christianity was any kind of life to live. Your influence has already told them something. What has your influence communicated? Do they see a heart of reverence? Do they hear from your lips messages from God's Word? Do they see a tongue that always stands for justice? Did they see a walk in equity? Did they see an influence for God? Those are characteristics of God's leader.
And every Christian ought to have an influence for God. If you've never been baptized in Christ for your mission, your sins, won't you do that tonight and begin a godly influence? Maybe you have been baptized in Christ and somewhere along the way sin has separated you from what you ought to be. Tonight, tonight, won't you turn back? You see, it's not only for our own soul's sake that we turn back, but we simply do not know all of the people that are watching us. And friends, to stand before God on the day of judgment, which will happen, and to hear depart from me is almost impossible to imagine. But to look over our shoulder and to hear other people hear the words depart from me because of our influence is unthinkable. Tonight, let's use our life for good. As Malachi said, take it to heart and give God the glory. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.